Chris Otto joining you on Wednesday, February 20th as we power through the second month of the 2019 tennis season and we slowly but surely make our way to Indian Wells, Miami, and of course the clay court season is lingering in the distance. So much to talk about on this, the third week of February. Lots of off-court news. We're going to have a discussion with Tennis Now editor Richard Pagliaro in a moment. We will be talking specifically about the stunning breakup of world number one Naomi Osaka and her ex-coach Sasha Bajan. It was pretty shocking news that hit the tennis world last week. This week in Dubai, we heard from Osaka. She gave her views on the split and explained some of her reasoning. And she also played a tennis match in Dubai. She was defeated, actually stunned by Francis Christina Mladenovic. 6363 yesterday, a difficult show by Osaka, who was able only to win five of 27 second serve points. So she is reeling a bit emotionally, psychologically, and of course still searching for a coach and hopes to have one by Indian Wells, which is set to begin in less than two weeks time. few things to say about Naomi Osaka parting ways with Sasha Bajan. Of course, that's the big news this week in the tennis world. And, you know, while it may seem surprising that a player that has won 14 straight matches at majors and is now number one in the world would suddenly part ways with her coach, but it is not unprecedented. In fact, all the reigning major titleists in the WTA have recently parted ways with their coaches Simona Halep no longer with Darren Cahill searching for a coach as she heads into Indian Wells. And Anjali Kerber won Wimbledon last year. At the end of the season, she parted ways with Wim Fizet. So chemistry is a big deal. Positivity is a big deal. Keeping things fresh is a big deal. And you'll hear Richard Pagliaro make the point, how many coaches has Roger Federer been through in his career? And that he uses coaches like he uses books. He's adding pieces to his game and he takes the coach that's the best to help him add the piece to his game that he wants to add at that particular point in time. And I think Federer's pairing with Stefan Edberg, which made him become one of the greatest volleyers in the game, was a, was a perfect example of that. So it's not at all bad to be changing coaches so often. And we were always complaining and uh, expressing dismay about the fact that the WTA players really run through a lot of coaches. But as long as they're learning things and evolving as they use these different coaches, maybe it's a good thing. Just a little thought to throw out there. And another thought I want to throw out there is the podcast, the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, you can find us on the Tennis Now website at tennisnow.com slash podcast. You can click the banner at the top of the page there. It'll take you to our iTunes link. And yes, we'd love it if you go to iTunes, listen to the podcast there. You can rate and review us. And yes, we'd appreciate that greatly. You can also find us on Spotify on Google Play, and you can find us at our podcast homepage at podomatic.com. So please keep listening. We're going to have some great stuff coming up from Indian Wells. I'll be getting on a plane in about 10 days to go down there. And for now, entertain yourselves with my interview with Tennis Now editor Richard Pagliaro. Richard Pagliaro is joining us today, and we are pleased to have him on the line to chat a little bit about the happenings in tennis. 
Probably the most exciting thing on the tip of everybody's tongue is the status of Naomi Osaka. Richard, how are you doing today? And why don't you just start off by giving me some thoughts on Osaka's parting with her coach? Yeah, Chris, great to speak with you, and, and thanks for having me back. Yeah, I'd say the first thing is, you know, the pre-Dubai interview where she spoke about it, the, the thing that was telling to me was, uh, you know, where she reiterated the relationship in Australia that she hadn't really been talking to him before matches. And for me, that was telling for two reasons. Number one is she's basically telling you, look, this isn't something that I just woke up yesterday and decided to split with the coach. It's something that I had been thinking about for a while. And in fact, I've been thinking about it so long, I wasn't even really consulting with him before matches. And the second thing is she's telling you, look, I feel like I can do it on my own, that I was able to figure that out to win in Australia. And she faced a variety of really different opponents, although the last two, Pliskova and uh, Kvitova, are both really flat, hard hitters. So I think she was kind of sending a message in two ways there. You know, one, this was a long time coming, or longer than you think. Right. And two, and two, you know, I think that what she was saying is, look, I, I, I was able to work through it and win a slam, so I think I'm going to be okay. I think it was sort of, you know, reasserting her own identity, and then I was able to win a slam despite this sort of turmoil that they had. And, you know, thirdly, obviously, when she said happiness is more important than success, I think everybody yeah. can kind of relate to that, no matter how successful you are, if you're not happy in your relationship, whether it's your personal relationship, your work relationship, you know, you're just not going to be happy. So I thought that was, that was very wise words from mm -hmm. her in that in that sense. You correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it sounds like you are saying that in retrospect, Osaka's title in Australia might even be more impressive than we first thought. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good summary and a good and a good way to say it because I think that's what really what she was hitting at in the in the pre-tournament interview. And then after losing to Mladenovic, I, I I really wasn't that surprised that she lost because I think all the the pressure and stress and having to talk about it and sort of explain your decisions and all that that's that's new for her being a new world number one. And I think that's going to be a process and something I, I felt she was very open saying look I'm not comfortable with a lot of attention and she was pointing out you know a year ago at this time like it wasn't nearly the same level of attention so she was saying you know this is a new world it's something I really have to adjust to and you know I just go back to what Martina Hingis used to say it's always easier being the hunter than the hunted because once you get on that top spot there's a bullseye on your back from everyone not just the opponents it's from the media the fan you know it's just your the demands on your time are just so much more dramatic and I and I think that's that's just going to take her some time to to adjust but I think she's going to be fine in the long run yeah I think so um so much on her plate, of course, with being, you know, world number one now, with having two major titles, with uh, being a Japanese megastar, which makes things different. I mean, let's let's not forget she's also kind of learning the language, and and she's did, so much is going on that we don't know about uh, on the outside. But I was really surprised by this split and by some of the dialogue that Osaka had with the press afterwards. Because I'll be frank, watch the Aussie Open closely, like you did. I got a tiny inkling of maybe some weirdness between those two, but had no idea that things were as bad as they were. How about you, from, from your, oh, from your yeah, perspective? Oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I can't sit here and say, oh, my God, I, I saw it. No, I didn't at all. I didn't see it at all. Although, in retrospect, when she's referenced it twice, you know, our relationship during Australia, you go back and watch the interviews or see the interviews, 
you know, she was basically saying then that, that the communication wasn't as clear as it had been. Now, I didn't, having said that, I didn't see a break coming. No, no, not at all. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And what do you see next? She talks about having a coach in place by Indian Wells. We have talked about her need to maybe develop her game a little bit more, have, be a little bit more of a nuanced player. And she even admits that she's not the player she wants to be yet, that she's still very young in this game and that her her arc is just beginning. So... How crucial is this next decision for her at Indian Wells, or do you think there's room for her to possibly make the wrong choice for a coach and kind of, uh, you know, go go on a trial with a coach that doesn't work and then start again? Or do you, like, do you think she's lost momentum, basically, is what I'm trying to say? No, because Australia was only a few weeks ago, and, you know, it's one loss in Dubai. No, I don't think so at all. And, and as to your question about the coaching, I think, you know, the answer is right there with Simona Halep, that she tried, you know, she tried for a week, it didn't work out, and she moved on, and that's a smart thing to do. And I think Osaka would be wise to do a similar thing, unless she has a short list or somebody already in mind. I know she spent a lot of time training at the Everett Academy, maybe someone she's seen or worked with there, sort of, piqued her interest or maybe she just has a short list of these are the four or five people I'd like to explore and then you just try it and and that's not that uncommon where you would have a a trial period and just see if it clicks I thought two of the interesting things she said when they asked her prerequisite for the next coach she said number one someone really really positive that that that's important to her someone who's encouraging and positive and number two someone who's going to be straight up with her and tell her right to her face you know, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. So I think those two areas, someone who's positive and a, and a good communicator, and there's a lot of people out there who obviously be love to work with her. So no, I don't think it's critical. I think she's wise to get somebody in place before Indian Wells. But you know what, if it doesn't work, you always have options. And, you know, look at Djokovic a year ago, you know, from Agassi and Stepanek and then reassembling his team, and then he, and he took off like a rocket. Sometimes it's just personality, or sometimes it's not even what the coach is telling you. It's how they tell you when they tell you it that, that clicks. But I think the other thing is to hit on your initial point that it's good to me that she seems to have a vision of where she wants her game to be, you know, in a year, two years, three years, five years. She seems to have a vision of this is what I want to be. And, you know, this is where I'm at now. I'm world number one. I'm a two-time slam champion, but I'm not content with this game. I want to take it to a different place. And I, and I think that's very smart. So it sounds like you are saying the sky is not falling for Naomi Osaka. No, not at all. I mean, I, like I said, when we talked during the U.S. Open, I mean, I really think she's going to be a, you know, a big-time elite champ. I, I don't think it's going to end for her two, three, four May. I mean, I'm, I, to me, she's, she's going to win double-digit majors if she stays healthy and stays interested. And the other point I just want to make quick is that, you know, sometimes as fans or people that love the game, we, we want to see a, tra- a trajectory sort of straight up, and it doesn't always work that way. You look at Serena, she won her first slam in 99, and then she didn't back that up immediately, and people were like, oh, Serena's going Hollywood, Serena wants to be an actor, Serena wants to be the female James Bond. You know, it was like, Serena's not interested. And then when Serena got totally committed and into it, you know, the sky was the limit for her. I'm, I'm not saying she's going to be Serena Williams, but I'm saying... You know, history tells us Agassi's another guy that he struggled initially, and then when he won his first, it wasn't like he just started winning them one right after another. It takes time. Yeah, well said. You've uh, you've enlightened me a bit on this situation. Now, speaking of the sky potentially falling, is it falling for Sasha Bajan? No, no, I think Sasha Bajan, no, not at all. I think it's just sometimes, you know, personalities click, and sometimes they don't, or sometimes you just 
tune someone out, you feel like you've got all. Hey, look, another example is, you know, Roger Federer, arguably the greatest of all time. He's gone through a cycle through coaches almost every two years. And I, and I think in retrospect, you would say, hey, Federer was really smart. He looked at coaching the way you would look at a university education. I'm going to go to this guy for biology, this guy for political science, this mm-hmm. guy for writing art. You know, he, understand, he understood one person can't teach you every single thing. So he sort of drained the knowledge from each coach, and he built his own complete game that way, going coach to coach. So I think there's an argument to be said for that, for being willing to try different voices and different approaches. So, uh, no, I'm really, uh, I'm not down on her at all. I think it's just part of her... You're making, pro- I think she's going to be a big-time player. You're I, making I really, too much sense right now. And I think right he's going to go on, and I think he'll go on and do – he's a, he's an excellent coach in my view. I think he'll he'll do good things as well. You're making too much sense right now, Richard. I, I don't know <laughs> if this is good for the podcast. But, but Sasha, it <laughs> seems like a little – people seem to be quickly be going negative on Sasha. I'm sure somebody's going to want to pick him up. I mean, he, he took Naomi from – whether it's Naomi's work, and yeah, she did all the work, but, I mean, they were together for a year, and they got the Indian Wells title in two major – titles in, in succession so somebody is going to be dying to have him on on her side or his side for that matter absolutely and the results don't lie and look even if even if for no other reason than he knows serena well and if you look at it like you're going to have to get through serena to win a major i mean obviously he knows how to game plan for serena because she never lost a set to serena you know and like you said a lot of that's on her she's the player she's the one making the shots but you know he he's had influence and everywhere he's gone the player has been successful. So, I, I mean, the, resu- the the proof is in the result. Well said, Richard. Uh, news alert. Roger Federer is playing Madrid. Thoughts on that? I'm excited. And I think it's a smart move because of the altitude, because that court traditionally plays a little bit faster than, you know, let's say Rome, Barcelona, Monte Carlo. And he's had success there previously, winning it three times. Of course, one of those times was back when it was still – a hardcore tournament, I believe, but I think that's great. And also, you remember well the last time he played there was that match with Kyrgios, the triple uh, tie-break match. It was a really exciting match. And, uh, that was great. When he uttered the famous quote, we, uh, the circus we need, quote. A, need a circus for this. Yeah, yeah that was <laughs> great. Yeah, I mean, Federer, I think you know it's been since 2016 since he's been on the clay. That was at Rome, and I think 2015 since he made an appearance at Roland Garros, right? Right, and right. I, I, I love that quote from him. <laughs> I think that's one of my favorite Federer quotes. Oh, you know. gosh. Um, yeah, but, and then Rome, you know, look, he beats Zverev in Rome, and then he lost a team. That was his last. That was 2016, and uh, I think it's great, and I think it's a good move for him because instead of skipping the clay and then just jumping right into grass, which is obviously his best surface, but also you, you, you run the risk of that break of losing your rhythm, losing the timing a little bit. So I think it's a good move. I'm excited to see him. Oh, so exciting. Every, all the Federer fans are going to be nuts for this people forget how good roger federer is on a clay court 214 and 68 lifetime that's 759 winning percentage 11 titles couple wins over nadal roland garros titleist in 2009 i mean this is this guy can play on clay and, and i think he's going to be enthused he hasn't done it in a while i think he's got really no expectations just wants to have fun i think we're going to see some brilliant tennis from roger federer this spring absolutely and people forget roger federer grew up playing tennis on clay he learned the game on play sure he played indoors a lot but he played on clay a lot growing up and like he's a beautiful mover on clay the slice is always effective for him on clay yeah it's really exciting it's great for the game too to see that he still has that hunger and desire and that he's willing to challenge himself Mm-hmm. And look, let's face it, you and I have talked about this a lot. If Rafa had gotten hurt early on or if he had missed some, I mean, Federer could have won five 
Momentaro's titles without Ralph around. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, well, interesting week we just saw in tennis. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, maybe we can chat about it a little bit. The um, the events at the first 500 um, event in Rotterdam, pretty interesting. Gael Monfi comes away with the title. He hasn't won too many titles in his career and has been historically bad in finals, but what a performance from the Frenchman. No, a tremendous performance, especially because the first match, he f- took that bad fall on his wrist where he was hitting one-handed backhands for like one set, and then he was able to get it together after that. So that was a great performance, and Stan has so, uh, been so tough in finals in recent years also. And it sort of a resurgence for both of them, because let's face it, a few years ago, Stan coming off double knee surgery, a lot of people were thinking, you know, this could be the end of the road for Stan. It's hard to come back from that kind of surgery. But I thought Stan moved beautifully, looked great, and then Monfi, he totally got it out that third set some great defense and just kept forcing Stan to play a little bit closer to line and he leaked enough errors in the end to uh to pull it out it was a great moment for Monty and also that that, that whole trophy ceremony the, the the mutual respect they had and Krychek the respect Krychek showed for both of them and the fans staying right to land was a beautiful ceremony they did in Rotterdam it was cool very cool tournament they have there and um yeah I think you could say Vavrinka lost the match, but it's still a very positive week for him. He's trending in the right direction. He's up just outside the top 40 now. Looks like he could have, you know, possibly get into a situation where he's seated for Roland Garros. Uh, things looking up for him. Uh, looking up, especially that he avenged the Milos loss in, uh, in Australia. And also, look, Kay had been playing lights out. And I thought I gave Kay a slight edge going into that match the first set. He was just destroying Kay. I mean, to Kay's credit, he came back and made it a really good match. But he was beating the hell out of him for a set. I mean, Stan was just—he was in full Stanimal mode. He looked—he looked ferocious. He looked great. He just looked great. Yeah, and 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 definitely want to mention Nishikori, who just week in and week out just keeps putting in solid performances. Just he's there every week right now, right now, and he's he's just um, a real fun player to watch. I still think he's, you know, he's going to make a difference at these majors, all, all of them for the remainder of the season, the way he's playing. He is really fun to watch. And one of the things I like about him is the little small adjustments, like when he saw Stan way back on the return. He'll actually serve and volley a couple times. He's not afraid to use the drop shot. He plays beautiful angles, especially off the backhand. He's, you put him against anybody, and if he's fit and he's healthy, it's always fun to watch him. Wouldn't it be neat if he snuck in and found a way to win a major? Oh, it would be great. It would be great. Switching over to the New York Open, it was uh, a wild event. The seeds were falling, and we ended up with Riley Opelka and Braden Schnur in the final. Of course, Schnur was a huge story, had never won an ATP match before, was 0-5 coming in. Opelka, we've seen him do some damage before, but it was his first career final, his first career title. They actually played a really good and entertaining final. They did, and I think I feel like a lot of times, uh, you know, the younger guy, they people write him, oh, he's a serve body, he's just a server, but Opelka's fun to why he gets time on the forehand, he could crack it, the backhand down the line, he showed a little bit, and also adjusting from the indoors of New York and then going right down to Delray and putting a big win together. Yeah, Opelka, he's an ex- he's a guy, he might... He might be a top 20 player at some point this year. You know, he's just devastating on the So You can't dent the uh, the serve at all when he's on. Oh, gosh. Indoor, just just, just raining aces down. It, it was oh, like, my God. 
I, I thought Isner was was the ace king, but this this kids could potentially be breaking some records in that category. Absolutely, and to me, he's he's more athletic than Isner. I mean, it remains to be seen if Isner's a top ten player. He's had a great career, but he's a, he's more athletic. I think he moves better. I think his the potential is there. I think the guy could definitely crack the top twenty five, top twenty if he stays healthy. That's the whole thing. You know, the taller you get, you're always worried about the lower body injuries and the vulnerabilities there because he's just such a big big guy. But God, he showed he showed a lot. And also, don't forget, he backed it up in Australia when he, he wasn't afraid to stand toe-to-toe with Isner in Australia, those four tie-break sets that he beat him. So he definitely gets up for the Americans and the big servers as well. Yeah, what, what, and I should rephrase it. I thought that Isner was the American ace king. I like Dr. Evo as my overall right. ace king. But, but uh, yeah. Opelka, again, what I like about him right now is that he's 21, and we talk about the issues with, with movement and with fitness of a tall player, and he is extremely tall. But at his age, I think you, you, know, you give him a better chance maybe to stay healthy or to move well, and maybe his time is now or in the next few years before he turns 25 to really wreak havoc on the tour. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And now he's got the momentum behind him, and you know, let's see where where he can take it. And Delray, that draws a you know, TFO went out to uh, Evans, so that draws a little bit open down there. Also, obviously, with uh, Del Potro coming back, and uh, and Isner also there, it's going to be exciting. But Delray Beach, you know, I've gone there because of the conditions. It's windy. It's one of the first out. You know, you always get freaky results there. So, I mean, don't be surprised if something crazy happens. Donald Young's made a final there. Golbas made a final evos one there it's oh you see some crazy results there yep and we're seeing some crazy results in the latin swing now into the third week uh last week in buenos aires we saw marco checkinato kind of impress us again on the clay another title his third he's played three finals now all on clay he's never dropped a set in any of them so looking like his roland garros semi-final last year maybe not a fluke after all Right, and also the fact that he took out two Argentinians, he took out uh, Pea, and then he took out Schwartzman after the huge win over team, where you figured the crowd would be going insane there because they have some of the most passionate, mm-hmm. you know, fans in the world there. They're so vocal, and also, you know, as you noted earlier in the week when uh, for David Ferrer when they had all the great oh, Argentinians, he came out, Gaudio, Corey, everybody came out. They just love tennis so much in that country that I, you know, I. Think thought initially hey he might have a problem with the crowd but he was checking out it was super smart he just came out saying look i gotta take charge right from the first ball from the first game build a lead just mute this just suffocate schwartzman take his legs out and just totally mute the crowd and he completely i mean he took on six thousand seven thousand p and he just shut them all up it was really impressive even at the end when you saw him he kind of cupped his hand to his ear kind of like where's the noise now i mean he that i was fearless like yeah, I thought he, that he knew what he had to do and he went out and did it his backhand is a beautiful shot remember when he upset novak in the french open last year that backhand down the line on match point when novak tried to serve and i mean that guy can put the backhand anywhere he moves well i mean to me the, the whole well. thing is it's, you know, they, you saw when Schwartzman, they were trying to drop shot him. He's up there, and he has a good drop shot himself. So, you know, I was thinking about after he won that title, I was looking ahead, Davis Cup at the end of the year, the group that Italy's in, it's United States, Italy, and Canada. Just think what that, if everybody played, I mean, you could see Felix, you could see Shapovalov, you could see Raonic, Italy with him and Fognini, and I mean, you could have some great matches if, if if they were all at full strength. He's an exciting player. I just wonder, you wonder if he can do it on hard court where he's, 
you know, he had a good result in Doha, but he didn't win a match basically in Australia. So it's tough for that's him. The thing. But now, now, like you said, with with Opelka, now is the time for Jaconato. This is the clay season. This is where he can really put it together. He's an exciting player on clay for sure. He really is. The way he read and reacts to the game, the the fast hands, the movement, right. the right. the aggressiveness. The, he's a slick. Right. He's the a slick player. Knowing when he has to defend, knowing when he can take the strike, and his willingness to come in and drag you in with a drive. He's not afraid if he pulls you in on a drive and you get it back he knows what to do he's really he's adept all around the court and he can hit winners just about anywhere when he's on yeah if, if i if i come across a check and auto match on clay i i'm keeping it on and i'm watching it because i i think he plays a beautiful game There's he a, really does and also his emotions after he lets you in and shows you whether you know excitement joy passion to you know he really lets you in he's a genuine uh, a genuine competitor that yeah, way and he's going to become the top ranked italian next right. week because fabio right. fanini is in such a tailspin. He lost to right. Felix Oje Aliassime yesterday in Rio. I think we saw six of the seven seeds in action go down. Schwartzman was losing. He was the other seed, but he got uh, saved by the rain. Some some weird developments in the clay, but the Latin swing, you guys, you should tune in when you get to time because um, it's fun. It's cool, and it's a, it's a nice kind of a preview for what we may see in Roland Garros kind of on the second tier of players. Of course, Rafa's not in action. Novak's not in action, but but you get a nice look at a lot of players who you, um, you're going to start to see later this spring when we head to Europe. Absolutely, in the crowds, it's more of a soccer-style crowd. Because, you, you know, even the first week of Roland Garros, some of those Chatrier, Matt, they feel a little empty, a little dead because it's so big, cosmopolitan. There, your fans are right on top of the court, and they're really, really vocal they're in Argentina, in Rio. Even, you know, Mexico is coming, Acapulco is coming out, it's a hard court, but the same kind of thing where they really, it's a really fan engagement sort of experience. Yep. Excellent stuff, Richard. Um, anything else you want to chat about before we part ways? Uh, no, just looking ahead to Indian Wells and, and Miami. I think it, it, it'll be great. And uh, No, not at all. I'm looking forward to see Rafa also coming back in Acapulco. And, um, that should be good. Hopefully he'll make it. Last year he... He he uh, wasn't able to play, but that yeah that would be right. exciting. Right, and I'm in New York now. The big news here is Serena and Meghan Markle's baby shower. Like Serena's big into running the baby shower. Apparently, <laughs> okay. It's in not... New York. Everyone's talking about that. Like Serena's got the in now to the royal. So maybe we'll see Serena at Wimbledon. Maybe we'll see some of the royals in uh, in the box during her matches this year. I will say it's not my specialty, but but I'll I'll <laughs> dig in and maybe we'll put something up on tennis now about that. It sounds pretty <laughs> yeah. interesting. All right, Richard, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for your insights. Yeah. He's Richard Pagliaro, yeah. Tennis Now's editor, and we'll, uh, we'll chat with you in the next, probably right before Indian Wells. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express, is a wrap. I want to thank you all for listening. Thanks to Richard Pagliaro for taking the time to join us. Really appreciated his insights today. I want to remind you all, visit us on the website, TennisNow.com, for all the opinions and the news and the blogs that you could ever want. You can also find us on social at Facebook.com slash TennisNow. Find us on Twitter at tennis underscore now hit us up on instagram we're pretty active over there and of course the podcast we'd love it if you join us check us out on itunes spotify google play or just go to tennisnow.com slash podcast thanks for listening and we'll see you all next time